This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. My name is Joe Merrick. I'm so happy to be with you here today, especially on the start of a brand new series entitled The Search for Happiness. Isn't that something that we all long for, we all look for? Uh, We have neighbors and family and friends who don't know anything about God. We all search for happiness. That's what we're going to spend this month talking about today. Before uh, we do that, though, let me just encourage you, if uh, you are new this morning or if you've been around many, many times before, to reach into the seat back in front of you, you can find a Connect card there. Connect card is just an incredibly valuable piece of information uh, for us as a church. It lets us know that you're here and we care about that. Uh, It also, uh, there's so many things you can share with us on it. On the back, you can write down prayer requests, decisions that you've made. Maybe you decided, hey, I want to follow God closer. Uh, Maybe you want to volunteer in some area of the church. You can write all of those things on the back of your Connect cards. So please uh, take one of those today. Uh, It's our desire to have one of those from every family here today. You can drop it in the baskets uh, in the back of the auditorium or in the baskets that the um, ushers will pass by uh, collecting the offering today. With that, let me spend a few minutes praying for us and then we'll jump in. Lord God, we just ask, we ask for a moment, a moment for us just to calm our hearts and to clear our minds of the distractions So many things on our minds today, uh, the rest of the work week, family issues, uh, medical problems, financial challenges. God, we just pray that you push those aside for us and and you help us focus on what is truly important today, you. Help us all to do that, me included this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Well, in our world today, we search for happiness. And what we find so often in our searching is that happiness is elusive. It's elusive. It's fickle. It keeps moving. We think that we will find it in the next place, the next job, the next relationship, the next paycheck. And every time we get to that new place, what we find when we get there is So often, happiness has yet again moved forward. It it just keeps going one step up. The Bible understands. The Bible understands this natural tendency that we all have to be on the search for happiness, to be in the pursuit of it, that it's wrapped up in who we are Today, if I had a big box that was marked happiness and it was my job and your job to kind of bring some things up onto the stage and put them into the box, things or places we have looked for happiness but haven't found it, 
What kind of things would you bring up and put in the box this morning? Would you bring up and put some pieces of chocolate cake? Haven't we all kind of tried to maybe eat some feelings? Have you, uh, maybe you would bring up other boxes? Those little Amazon boxes that show up at your doorstep, those shoe boxes from the store. Sometimes we try and purchase our happiness. We think that objects will make us happy. Maybe paychecks. I mean, don't get me wrong, we all need paychecks. We all need paychecks, but sometimes we got caught up in this vicious cycle of always believing that if the paycheck was just a little bit bigger, then, then we would be happy. Famous author Zig Ziglar says this, money won't make you happy, but everybody wants to find out for themselves. Right? That's true. Maybe you would come up and put some relationships in the box marked happiness. We, we, sometimes we search for happiness in relationships. We expect somebody else, especially romantic relationships. We think, hey, they will make us happy. But the joy, a joy that is found in life in relationship is, is going through life together when we expect somebody else to do it for us, somebody else to make us happy. We are bound to be disappointed. It's some of the big ones, right? I don't know what else might be on your mind this morning. This things that you places in life, uh, things you have done. They were here of searched for happiness. You spent time and energy looking for it. What kind of things would you put in that box? There are so many places we look for happiness. And what we find again and again in the things we put in this box is that they might make us happy for a moment, for a brief period, but it doesn't last, does it? We've experienced that. It doesn't quite last. The newness that uh, we bought of the objects, the newness of the objects wears off. All that chocolate cake that we eat, it feels so good, it tastes so good, but it makes the jeans not fit. That relationship that didn't work out, every time that paycheck grew just a little bit, it never seemed quite enough to really, truly make us happy, at least for the long haul. And so the search goes on. We keep looking for happiness. We keep searching for it. That's what we want to help with today. That's what we want to help with throughout this series Where do we search for happiness? Sometimes the search goes on literally, just like this story about a man named Jeff Murphy. This happened just last year. Jeff was uh, 53 years old, and he's hiking in Yellowstone National Park, and he disappeared. Investigators searched and searched for his body. They finally, they found him on June 9th, where he apparently fell uh, quite a distance after being in a very, very dangerous part of the park. 
But Jeff wasn't on just any ordinary hike. He was looking for a treasure, a box full of gold and jewels worth over $2 million. He, like so many others, have spent years looking for a buried treasure by an eccentric millionaire named Forrest Finn. The only clues for the treasure being hidden are these. It's hidden in the Rocky Mountains, somewhere between Santa Fe and the Canadian border. At above 5,000 feet, it's not in a mine, a graveyard, or near a structure. Jeff is the fourth person to die searching for this treasure. Jeff's story reminds me of a, of a quote from Benjamin Franklin. It says this, Money never made a man happy yet, nor will it. The more a man has, the more he wants. Instead of filling a vacuum, it makes one. Maybe our search for happiness, especially through money, isn't quite as dramatic as Jeff's story is. But we've all struggled with the vacuum money so often creates in our hearts, in our lives. It's supposed to make us happy, but much too often it leaves us just wanting more of it. Case in point, just two years ago, Time Magazine published this article that was entitled, entitled How Winning the Lottery Makes You Miserable. The article talks about how uh, fortunes are squandered, how winners end up uh, with less than what they had when they won. Before they won, I'm sorry. The article talks about divorce, suicide, and just self-reported unhappiness amongst lottery winners. This is from uh, the people who we think of as the luckiest people on earth, right? I mean, they're the ones that have a fortune handed to them in just a moment. They're the ones that uh, we think of as blessed and lucky, and yet they often end up miserable. The Bible has many things to say about money. Has many things to say about money, and especially its power to make us want more and more of it. One of the places we find the Bible speaking about money is in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. If you've got a Bible, you can uh, open up to 1, chapter, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you've got the YouVersion Bible app, you can have a moment to do that as well. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10 this morning. The words will be behind me. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world, and, when we, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. And then verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Let's break these verses down just a little bit more this morning, starting in verse 6. A section uh, right before verse 6, if you're kind of looking at those uh, verses, it's a warning against false teachers. Warning against false teachers in the church in Ephesus. And Paul is the author of the letter, and he's writing to Timothy, and he's asking Timothy to address these false teachers. He's, and some of their um, things that they're saying, and one of the things he wants them to address is these false teachers seem to be focused on money for all the wrong reasons. And so in verse 6, what Paul does is really creative. He, he shifts the focus. He shifts the focus from money to what we really want from money. Paul says what what you really want from money is you want to be content. You want to be satisfied, filled. You want to be complete. That's what we want. Wealth's trick is always to make us think if we had just a little bit more, if we had just a little bit bigger paycheck, a a little bit more net worth, then, then when we got to that spot, then we would be content. But it doesn't happen. We just want more and more, and the cycle goes on and on. And so in verse 6, what, what Paul does is he tries to draw some new connections. He draws new connections between contentment and godliness, contentment and faithfulness, not money. He says this, his money isn't going to bring you contentment. Faithfulness to God is going to bring you In short, why are so many people discontent still searching for happiness? Because we're looking in the wrong places. We're looking in the wrong places. We're looking to money when we should be looking to God. Verses 9 and 10 Add that those who turn to money for contentment not only don't find contentment, but oftentimes they find something else. Oftentimes they find temptation and enslavement. A person with money can buy what they want, do what they want to do, go where they want to go. And there's a certain power in this, but there's also this big temptation to keep buying and buying, keep going and going, keep doing and doing. And then verse 9 draws a picture for us. The end of verse 9 says that those who fall into the deceptions of wealth look for and look for their happiness there. They are plunged into ruin and destruction. Ruin and destruction. They're plunged into, and and the picture that is getting drawn there, the word picture, right, is that they're kind of getting pushed into deep waters. What's the worst thing that you want when you're kind of pushed into deep waters? It's trying to hold on to a bunch of stuff, right? 
trying to hold on to a bunch of wealth, a bunch of coins, a bunch of objects, a bunch of whatever it is we are searching for happiness in. So many times the only way to get up, to make it out of the deep water is to let go of all of those things. Let them sink to the bottom. And finally, in verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money itself is not evil, but when our love for it is too great, it does funny things to our hearts. It does funny things to our hearts. It has this incredible ability to distract us from what is really important. That's why Jesus himself warns in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. He will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Then Jesus says, You cannot serve both God, and then he just names it, money. William Barclay, in his writings on Philippians chapter 6, verse 9, says it so well. He says this, money in itself is neither good nor bad. It is simply dangerous in that the love of it may become bad. With money, a a man can do much good, and with money, he can do much evil. With money, a man can selfishly serve his own desires, and with money, he can generously answer to the cry of his neighbor's need. With money, a man can buy his way to the forbidden things and facilitate the path of wrongdoing, and with money, he can make it easier for someone else to live as God meant him to live. Money is not evil, but it is a great responsibility. So what do we do? I mean, hopefully we have heard clearly from 1 Timothy today that this warning that money can be uh, seductive, it can have this power over us, even when we don't want it to. But we live in this world in which we need money. We can't just give up on it. It takes money to turn these lights on to pay for this building. It takes money to uh, put breakfast on the table, to get in a car and drive to church. And so the plain truths are, number one, The Bible speaks clearly again and again about the power and the danger money can be in our life. And the second thing is we live in a world, we live in a world where we need money to eat, to get places, to have heat and shelter and so much And so as we are searching for happiness, as we're trying to be content, we've got to guard our health, our, our hearts. We've got to guard our hearts against money's seductive and sometimes evil power. This morning, 
I've got three questions for us. Three questions that we need to continually be asking ourselves when it comes to our relationship with money. Here they are. Number one is this. Are you content in your circumstances? Are you content in your circumstances? We already saw kind of the, the, uh, the connection Paul draws for us in First Timothy today between faithfulness and contentment, that that's really where we're going to find contentment, not in money. Paul has other descriptions. Uh, one that comes to mind is Philippians 4, 11 through 13. It says this. Paul's talking about his own life, his own example here. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it was with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Paul, Paul knew where his real wealth was, his real treasure was. Paul knew his real treasure was with God in heaven. When we are content, when we're content, we have peace. Not because everything is peaceful around us, but we have peace because we can trust in God. When we are content, we are patient, not because we don't want things to change, not because we don't have any uh, bigger dreams, desires for life to be different or better, but because we trust God will bring about His change in His time. When we're content, We are able to step out boldly in faith because our contentment doesn't make us passive. It makes us daring. Paul had sat in jail cell after jail cell. He writes these words from a jail cell. He had been shipwrecked, beaten, hungry on more than one occasion. Did he enjoy these scenarios? No. Did he want them to be better? You bet he did. And yet he still had peace. You see how he still had peace? He still had contentment because he knew where his treasure was, because he knew despite whatever circumstance he faced, whatever situation he was in, that God was there with him. If we want to fight the power that money has in our hearts so often, the greed that so often can take us over, we need that kind of peace, that kind of contentment. Second question we need to be asking ourselves is, are you actively guarding against greed. Actively guarding against 
Greed. Greed is one of those things that we are uh, so quick to see in somebody else, but we are so slow to see in ourselves. That's why I made sure to add that word actively searching. Because we all need to be asking ourselves those questions well, teaching his followers to store up treasures in heaven, Jesus in Matthew, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 12 says this, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Now, if you go up to uh, verse 1 of chapter 12, it says that thousands had gathered around Jesus. And so he's teaching this massive crowd. The Pharisees are in the midst of trying to uh, trip him up. The religious leaders are trying to trip up Jesus. But he's teaching this great crowd. And we've got to imagine that in that crowd is every kind and stage of life. That the poorest of the poor are there, that the cripple and the hurt, hurting are there, that the rich and the powerful, the power movers of the day are there because the whole community has gathered and Jesus is teaching them and he says this to them all. Beware. Guard against. Be active with that guarding. Don't do it just once. Don't, don't think about it just one time, but guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. In other words, this isn't just a problem for those who have money. Those without it can be overtaken with greed as well. Instead of letting greed into your heart, fill your heart with gratitude. Be generous. Show kindness to one another. And the moment that greed kind of uh, pops its head up in your heart, in your life, repent of it. Guard against greed. Do it actively. The third question. Third question we need to be asking ourselves continually when it comes to our relationship with money is this Are you generous? Are you generous? To be a Christian means to be one who is following after the example of Christ. And one of the ways, uh, one of the examples Jesus sets for us is he is generous. There's a need, he meets it. He gives of himself again and again and again. We need to follow Jesus' example of generosity. First, because we see it in his life, and that's what we're supposed to do, uh, follow the example of his life. And second, because generosity is the opposite of greed. It's one of the best ways we can fight it off in our life. Greed comes so easily to our heart. Generosity, we have to work on. Would you consider yourself generous? Would others, would God? Those are the questions we need 
to wrestle with today. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we are on a search for happiness. We all are. We want to be happy and content and filled, and so do our neighbors, so does our world, and so often, especially in our world, we begin to equate happiness with possessions, with financial stability, with net worth. And God, one of the things we see in your word again and again is that when we look for happiness and just money, it's going to disappoint. God, as I was thinking about today as we were uh, preparing for today, as I was thinking about uh, just the, the world around us and the people who would hear these words today, God, there are so many of us, if you ask them, if you pose the question to them, does money make you happy? They'd say, no, no, it doesn't. We, we kind of, we know that that's the answer we're supposed to give God, but so many times our lives don't match up with that answer. That's my prayer for us today, God. That as we think about the search for happiness, as we think about the search for happiness, and, and we got to talk about how the place, the number one place that we so often turn to for happiness, and that's in money, We know that money will disappoint. But God, we know that you will not. Lord, help us to search for happiness and faithfulness to you. Help us to find contentment in that. Help us, God, to guard our heart against greed. The greed that is so pervasive in our world, that is so easily comes and deceives us, God. Help us to root it out. Help us to replace it with gratitude, with contentment, with peace, with faithfulness to you. In your name we pray, amen.